everybody, welcome to Trek Freaks, the Geek Freak show where we watch every episode of Star Trek, starting all the way back with the original series, and give our analysis and ratings for each episode along the way. My name is Kevin, and I am today joined by Frank. Hey y'all, I'm back, yay. Yeah, you took my place last time, now you got John's place this time. Yeah, yeah. We are talking about Season 1, Episode 13, The Conscience of the King. <laughs> I promise I have notes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, normally this would be the time when I ask a question for you to answer, but I think I want to save it for the end this time because it has to do a lot with what we're going to be talking about from this episode Okay. and ties in directly to the story. So we'll skip that for now. Leave a little cliffhanger for you listeners there. Oh, nice. Yeah. And I guess we'll just get started with the warp speed recap. Yeah, here we go. The Enterprise is in orbit of Signia Minor, where Captain Kirk is meeting with an old friend, Dr. Thomas Layton, under the pretense of the discovery of a sustainable synthetic food source. What Layton really wants Kirk to see is the main actor of a traveling theater group, one Anton Caridian. Layton claims that Caridian is actually Kodos the Executioner, a presumed dead governor of a world where half its population was sacrificed in order to prevent the other half of dying, from dying of starvation. At first, Kirk is hesitant to help out his old friend, based on a hunch. After looking into the case a little bit, Kirk decides to meet uh, Caridian at a party, but instead ends up meeting Julia, an actress from the group. Dr. Layton is soon found dead by Kirk and Julia, prompting Kirk to volunteer the Enterprise to shuttle the actors to their next gig. During the investigation, it is discovered that there are only two living witnesses left that saw Kodos' face, Captain Kirk and Lieutenant Kevin Riley, both of whom are currently serving on the Enterprise. After Riley is seemingly poisoned in engineering, Spock begins an investigation of his own. He now believes that Caridian is indeed Kodos, the executioner, and that Kirk will be the next victim. Kirk gets angry with Spock for getting into what he claims is his own personal business. During the debate, they hear a high-pitched squeal of a phaser set to overload, why is that a thing, in Jim's quarters. Uh, Spock starts to evacuate the deck as Kirk searches the gun turned into a bomb. The phaser is found and disposed of without causing damage to the ship. It is clear that Kirk was the intended target. Riley comes to in sickbay and overhears McCoy talking about the situation in his log. Kodos is responsible for the death of Riley's family. Riley sneaks out of, sneaks out of sickbay and toward the room where the actors are currently putting on a performance of Hamlet for the crew. Uh, with a phaser in his hand. Kirk and Riley discuss the situation backstage from the play, and Riley gives the weapon over to Kirk. Caridian, who hears Riley's voice, is brought back to a time when he was a different character, as he puts it, Love that part. Uh, to Julia, who is Julia is Caridian's daughter. Uh, Julia tells Caridian that there are only two men left that can hurt him, but they will be dealt with soon. Kirk intervenes after learning that Julia has been killing the witnesses to Kodos. Uh, Julia takes the phaser from Kirk and attempts to shoot him, but accidentally shoots her father instead. Julia is taken into custody, and Kirk and Riley live to see another day. I like Riley. I'm happy he's back for this one. Yeah. Um, gun turned into a bomb. Boy, that seems like something we'd have today, huh? It's pretty... <laughs> it definitely seems like something that probably exists here. Um... I was very surprised by that because they were saying, like, it'll take out the entire deck. And then later on, he says, it would take out several decks. How yeah. powerful is this thing? Like, it's just a phaser. 
I was really surprised. And then the the like garbage shoot thing that he threw it down. How did that not damage the ship? (laughs) Yeah, like you can feel. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like it was like something that goes like directly to space. Like anything that goes in this hole goes to space. I, I, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, before we get into any analysis of anything specific in this episode, what did you think? What, what was your, your first impression of this episode? Okay, this episode really sucked. It was a really bad one. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> Look at the me. reaction. This is the worst episode I've seen so far. I really dislike oh. this one. Yeah. I was like, man, That's... I got the menagerie, which was hard to cover. Then I got this turd. <laughs> man, where's That's that That's so funny because... A few episodes back, yep. uh, I don't think you you weren't on the the episode that we talked about it, but you said that it was your favorite episode. But it, I hated it. I thought yep. it was a, a complete stinker. This one's been my favorite episode so far. Oh my god, you're so wrong. <laughs> the, you know what's funny though is that uh, uh, most people, the audience, agreed with you really? that this episode did so badly uh, in its first airing that they didn't re-air it afterward. Oh wow! Like for yeah, it but. Ronald D. Moore, the guy behind a lot of Star Trek Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, and Battlestar Galactica, um, said it was his favorite episode of the original series. And uh, Matt Groening, the creator of The Simpsons, actually named Kodos from Kodos and Kang based on Kodos the Executioner in this episode. So obviously some people liked it. Maybe it's just some of us particular people with particular tastes (laughs) that liked it. But I... I, I loved it. I thought it was just it was more dr- drama and less just space stuff. There is the uh, classic Star Trek debate in there where like we'll talk about it. I'm sure later on the like eugenics versus perception and stuff like that and all kinds of things like that, which that is very Star Trek. The fact that it's like higher level thinking out of a team. The fact that Matt Groening likes it, that actually makes me rethink how what I my opinion on it. I thought that that might. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe I'm wrong here. Wait a minute. But yeah, it's. There are good elements, but that one that you disliked from before was like, that's classic Star Trek. That was so good. <laughs> Space battles and whatnot. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it just had a lot less action, but I, I like it when it has more story development, more drama. Yeah. Honestly. Because yeah. it ties, you can tighten your head to more modern stories and it doesn't have to be science fiction. But it is science fiction, so you expect some of that other stuff as well. Basically, yeah, they've talked about it before where science fiction is just the genre where we can more easily explain or you know explain or analyze situations that we would be into today so it's kind of like a, you know like yeah we'll just pretend like it's science fiction but really we're talking about eugenics <laughs> something oh, yeah. very deep and heavy yeah right and there's a lot of uh mental health that came up in this episode as well that yes. we'll get to oh yeah um and a lot of overarching themes that continue throughout the rest of star trek not just in the original series but in later series as well yeah. but let's go back to the beginning of this episode when they're watching the play of Macbeth. Mm-hmm. Um, did they try to not reveal that Leighton had his eye patch or he had like half of his face covered up oh my due to God. something? They so did. Oh. And it, and that thing is so freaking big and gross and stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and you can see like how like they cut that fabric the day of applying it on right. his face. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, at some point, guys, I mean, like put a sticker. I mean, it would be a lot easier for the, the actor. <laughs> we believe that there's something underneath there. Instead, he's like, my head's twice its size. And <laughs> he's got like a, it's like they put cast on heads in the in space. Um, yeah, I thought that was so silly. What'd you think of that thing? Yeah, it was, it was dumb. <laughs> it's, it's standard Star Trek, the original series. Yeah. 
like I'm able to see past it just because it is Star Trek, the original series. Yeah. Most of us come to expect stuff like that. But yeah, that was a little overboard, well, I think. Especially with the reveal. Like the whole time we're only seeing one side of his face and we're like, okay, we get it. The eye patch is more than right. just an eye patch. And then it's sure enough, he turns and you're like, it keeps going. <laughs> he just keeps yeah. doing it. It's more and more of it exposed. <laughs> Oh. I was kind of expecting it to be sort of a Captain Pike from the Menagerie where like his face was going to be burned or yeah. something, but they just put like a piece of cloth over yeah. part of his face. But, you know, not laziness, but maybe budget concerns. We'll go with that. Maybe that's why. That so, bad. <laughs> <laughs> so during the play, uh, Caridian, the main actor who's uh, playing Macbeth, is the guy that Leighton wants Kirk to pay attention to. And in this scene, he's act- he says something along the lines of, Caridian says, uh, as Macbeth, will th- all the waters of Neptune w- wash the blood off my hands, which is a very, it's something yes. along those lines. I'm not a Shakespearean person. Oh, I don't, you're, I don't you're like, selling study it to that. me. I totally believe oh, yeah, you're, you're Mr. Shakespeare himself. Patrick Stewart, hold my beer. <laughs> <laughs> There's, well, actually, I want to see Shatner do all kinds of Shakespeare now, and I'm thinking about it. Um, <laughs> But yeah, th- there's actually a few different times where they're actually very poetic sayings in this in this episode, and that was the first one that I noticed, um, because that you know is Kodos. I mean, he's a bad guy. I think he's still a bad guy, but there's this thing where he's haunted by his past, and he just won't shake it. And then when he realizes, you know, some more of the turns that are coming up, you're like, shit. I mean, I'm kind of like I feel for this guy who I would could still consider a murderer, and this is one of those yeah. things where he cannot get that blood off his hands. And I think it was even deeper than that. I think it was that he views at this point. We we know he's he's Kodos, but at the point in the episode, we don't know that because yeah. we don't even know what or who Kodos is at this right. point. Um, I assume that and throughout the episode, we learn that he's kind of viewing Kodos as a character that he used to play. And he said that I pointed out in the, the Warp Speed recap. I think he legitimately thinks that all these actors or all these characters that he has played that Kodos is just one of them and that he's trying to dissociate from past trauma yeah. that he himself caused. I would say he's definitely trying to dissociate from it. I think he believes that it was an action that had happened and that he had caused it. But yeah, it is one of those things where it's like, are you trying to just suppress it so much that you believe your own trickery? Um, yeah, that's up for debate. It's when he talks to his daughter later on about it, I think he still remembers doing it though. Cause he defends himself. Yeah. But in the same way that he kind of uh, defends other characters that he would play, I w- um, I'd imagine he's I don't know if it's like method acting meets mental health crisis. Oh, boy, that sounds interesting. Yeah, that's probably it. that. It was that line of thinking that got me to really enjoy and appreciate the episode mm. was just seeing how they didn't really make him ever admit to being Kodos while still knowing that he was Kodos and he did all of those things in the past. Yeah, I don't think he actually admits to being Kodos ever. He says that he he caused a lot of pain and has a lot of blood on his hands or something along yeah. those lines at the very end of the episode when he's talking to his daughter about it. God, he, But that, that's that's pretty much it. Everybody overacts so hard in this episode is unreal. Him and his <laughs> well, daughter are like, they are stage actors off screen too. <laughs> like You could definitely yeah. tell. I, I chalk that up to them just being stage actors in the show. So everything they say, they yeah. have to add a little bit of extra flair to it or be like super into whatever they're saying. Yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we're still at the very, very beginning of the episode before <laughs> the opening credits even start. Um, we can skip around a little bit. But the yeah. last thing from this 
this uh, beginning part that I want to talk about was the whole reason that Kirk was there to begin with and that they wanted to that Leighton had told them that he had come up with some sort of synthetic food that could cure hunger on a galactic scale, essentially. Yeah. Um, Jonathan and I have talked about this before. We know that replicators don't necessarily exist at this point, but I don't know when they became a thing. And I'm trying to imagine they've talked about food so little in the original series so far that all I've seen is them talk about turkeys and meatloaf. And then they've eaten those little colored cube things that you see sometimes. We saw that Um, the cube things are back in this episode, too. Riley's eating those and on with a glass of milk, which I thought was kind of odd. But yeah, (laughs) right. Well, you got to wash everything down with milk. Of course, that was the the thing back. Cows in space. Um, Exactly. why would would they actually need synth- a synthetic food source if they've already got those like protein cubes or whatever they are? Isn't that exactly they what they might that is? just taste nasty? Like it might be a thing where they're like, <laughs> you know, they're made with bugs like Snowpiercer or something like that. Maybe they just want something that tastes a little better, or they are too they're not energy efficient. Could be that too. Okay, okay, you know, that's fair. Something like that we have to figure out. And like maybe some planets can't hold those food cubes as well as others. Like if it's like a dune planet, like, oh, they don't do good in dry air or something. I don't know. There's a lot of caves in Star Trek so far, so it might be something that doesn't do well in caves. Yeah. A lot of the same cave reused over and over again, too. All right. When uh, later on, when Kirk is doing his the very beginning of his investigation to see if he even wants to entertain the idea that Caridian and Kodos are the same person. He goes through the computer records and he notices that uh, there are no records of Anton Caridian prior to 20 years ago. And that's right when Kodos's life had ended, essentially. Why was that not enough for him just to be like, OK, this is definitely him. We should do something now <laughs> just to alleviate the entire stress of the episode. Yeah, I, I don't know. And it seems like such a loop or a, a plot hole, too, for for. Kodos not to cover his tracks, like just make a backstory. Like, yeah, I worked at Walmart for how many years? Like, just do right. something. Um, and that actually kind of leans into your mental break part too, because it's almost like new life, and does you know he like ditches the old life, doesn't really think about it anymore. Yeah, to me, I thought that was a real loophole. I, I want to talk about it later on, but basically, Bones and Spock are in the wrong positions. They should be swapped in this episode because you have. Yeah, I thought so too. Yeah, Spock is like not thinking logically, but Bones is like, look at the paperwork, man. You know, like, the two are just, like, totally on the wrong sides of this thing. When you feel like Bones would be more emotionally invested than Spock is. Yeah, it, it did seem like Bones was being the more pragmatic one, which is definitely yeah. not his backstory. It's not his character. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there was some back and forth between them that we'll definitely get into later that I thought was really good character development for them. Yeah. But I don't have it right in front of me right now, so we'll talk about that later. Um. <laughs> When Kirk meets up with Julia, what did you think? Did you think that this was going to be just him talking to the blonde woman again? And so, or did you actually know that he was trying to get... What was your first impression of their conversation? I assume he's there for information. And I think he thinks that she's valuable in that sense. But I will say that the entire storyline with her feels so wasted. Until the very last moment, it might feel better. But up to that point, it was kind of like, okay, I get it. Like, Kirk is such a player, and we're just showing that off again. I just felt like it was such a waste, honestly. Yeah. It was kind of what I thought. It seemed like he didn't need to be as flirty or as, like, openly, aggressively into her as he was. He definitely is. To get what he needed. He's so 60s dude in a lot of these episodes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I 
I don't know if he acted it any differently, if Shatner acted the character during this any differently than he normally does when Kirk is somewhere flirting with somebody, but it kind of seemed like he, from the beginning, he was there just for the information and he was putting on a show. Yeah. And the actor didn't catch that he was putting on a show, which I thought was kind of funny, too. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point, actually, now that I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> and then Tom's wife, when they find Tom dead, and she's just... <laughs> I, I don't fully understand <laughs> why she's... They, they took Tom Layton the body of Tom Layton back to their house yeah, and l- just laid him on a couch. And she's like, Oh, this is sad. And just kind of w- walks away. They didn't make any big deal. Why does nobody deal with death properly in this it's show? All overacting and some underacting. Apparently I think it's, um, I like to think of it as like, he's probably possessing or, uh, you know, obsessive about this whole actor is not the right guy thing that she's like, he's losing it and he's going to break one of these days. It thinks it might be okay. Like I kind of think, like, oh man, it finally got to him, kind of thing like that. So that's that's where I kind of I thought about it at that moment. Like she's not acting right because she's probably like I've already kind of dis- detached detached myself from him a little bit. Gotcha. That makes sense too because she did say that he never had peace in life, but now he has peace in death. So that makes sense. Yep. That's a good point. Um, let's see. Kirk gets the captain of the Astral Queen to agree to let him take the the actors to their next show. Yeah. It's like one of favors and good old there. like Captain Kirk favors. Yeah. D- does he have like favors tallied up with everybody across the galaxy? Well, that kind of makes him cool. That's a Han Solo move right there. Right, like, Let me yeah. talk to my friend on, you know, Corgon nine, <laughs> you know, it's so cool. Except it's the kind of the opposite of Han Solo. Cause Han Solo would owe the guy money. Ah, that's true. <laughs> I just want to see Kirk and Han Solo team up so bad. That would be that would be a very fun crossover. Yeah, I have nothing bad to say. <laughs> right here is when we start seeing the I don't dissension might be too strong of a word, but Kirk doesn't inform Spock of anything that's going on, which makes at the beginning no of this sense. Okay, thank you. I actually have in all caps talk to your damn crew because it just doesn't make any sense that he would come up with all these plans and see this as his personal business. Yeah when it directly affects the livelihoods of people and the safety of the people on that crew, which are not only Kirk's responsibility, but Spock's as well as the second in command. It kind of, okay, off topic a little bit. Lower decks this week, when the captain's like, <laughs> let's go into this you know, nebula that's killing people, and it's like, you're just trying to prove a point, right. but you're also putting at 200 lives at risk? Like, be careful, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, you know, we saw Spock do this kind of last week during the Menagerie, where it's like, you could just talk to other people and you'd probably be solving a lot of your own problems here. Kirk, I mean, Spock and Bones are your, your most trusted allies. And especially Bones would side with you, because Bones has been kind of your emotional, you know, confidant. Let him know what's going on and calm Spock right. down a little bit, because Spock's on the case. <laughs> By the way, Spock, way to be Sherlock Holmes about it. He figured it out right away once he looked into it. Instantly. Yeah. yeah. Um. Kirk finds out that there's only nine witnesses that ever saw Kodos's face during all this, which is weird because yeah. Kodos was the governor of a planet. Yeah, we know 4,000 people, people survived. Face. Did 4,000 people not see that? And by the right. way, one, ha- one other one happens to be on the ship, a young guy who doesn't... <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> he looks I... like he's barely over 20 years old, and yet this thing happened 20 years ago. <laughs> so that's all kinds of questions. Yeah, they didn't even attempt to hang a lantern on that. They just, like, just 
yep, there's two people left now, and they're both on the Enterprise. Go. <laughs> but yes, and. <laughs> so many unbelievable, like, I don't know. I would think this event, like, you would kind of remember the nine guys that were there with you. And at what point did you, like, oh, Riley, remember that one time we beat, you know, a dictator on a planet? Oh, hey, good to see you. You're going down to engineering now. Like, it doesn't make, I don't know. To me, it seems like too many plot holes in this thing. Yeah, maybe I think Riley was probably a kid and somehow just randomly saw Kodos' face Ooh, back then. Yeah, maybe he's like the West, uh, what was his name from Wesley or whatever from uh, Next Gen. Maybe he's kind of like that, like a young guy. Yeah, well, I, I think he was back then because, I mean, this is 20 years ago, 20 years prior. So when he actually ever saw Kodos' face, that's why he didn't recognize his face, but he recognized his voice the same way that Leighton did. Oh, yeah, okay. That makes I sense. Yeah, I don't think they saw him or witnessed him at the same time. I think they they had just both seen his face at one point, and somehow the computer knew that. Yeah, okay. I'll go with that. <laughs> just so my brain stops uh, so hurting. <laughs> <laughs> this is funny, because I, I have a pretty bad headache talking about it right now. <laughs> um, yeah, so th there's only two of them left. It's Kirk and Riley. Yeah. And like you said earlier, it's glad I'm glad to see Riley back as well, because his character definitely deserved a little bit more for after what happened to him the last time we saw him. Um, Spock and McCoy in sick Bay talking about uh, this before Spock starts his investigation, he starts noticing that Kirk is making some decisions that he normally wouldn't make that he know that he knows things before the rest of the crew does. And he's not talking about it. So he goes to McCoy to talk about it, which I thought was odd because they don't necessarily get along the greatest, but was also a smart move because Spock knows that McCoy is the other one that knows Kirk best. But while they're talking about it, McCoy says the chain of command is often a noose, referring to the seemingly odd decisions that Kirk has been making. Another good line in this episode. There are, there are a lot of good little one-line yeah. poetic stuff in here. I like it. Yeah, and I think that's one of the themes of uh, Macbeth as well, is it not? I'm going to pretend like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I honestly was hoping you would know because I didn't know if it was Macbeth or Hamlet that touched on that because I don't, haven't read or seen either of them. I got Hamlet because that's Lion King and I got Ro Romeo and Juliet because, of course, school. So that's that's what two. <laughs> if you need those, you let me know. Gotcha. Yeah. If you guys listening know anything about Shakespeare, you should inform us yeah, which uh, which one touches on that a little bit more. Heavy is the head that wears the crown, essentially. Oh, yeah. See, you know that one. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. The next thing I really want to talk about, Kirk is giving Julia a tour of the Enterprise and all oh the lights boy. are out or dimmed. And she's like, did you do this on purpose? Just to. Yeah. And he's like, no, there's a day night cycle. We try to try to replicate Earth's day night cycle as closely as possible on this ship. I like that. That was cool. Yeah, but they never do it again. Yeah. They, I've mean, never seen it in any other Star Trek. Yeah. It's legitimately this episode only just because they needed the plot point. For her to say that line, which she didn't need to say that line. So no, she didn't. Yeah. It was absolutely unnecessary. They made a really cool thing they never use again, and it's very simple. Like if they just had the lights dimmer during you know nighttime shifts or whatever, I don't know why they did that. It's yeah, I'm not sure what the point of that whole episode. Like even that 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 scene that or the I'm sorry the um whatever that set that they made, they don't use that set. I don't think anywhere else where it shows like the big windows on one side and big windows on the other. It's kind of a unique uh, the, set. Yeah. The observation lounge or whatever yeah. they call it. Yeah. It's really weird. That was I think I'd read that that was the only time that they used that set ever in the original series. I do seem to recall other times on other uh series, I think Voyager, where they have like a day night cycle from time to time whenever it 
like when there's the the night crew running the bridge and then the day crew gets on gets on. I think it was when Ensign Kim was running the night crew like he was like the head of he had the the con or whatever during the the night shift and then when the day shift comes on Chakotay turns the lights on and I think they do revisit that later yeah but not in the original series ever again yeah um that I can recall yeah that is weird Uh, her she's like really laying it on heavy in this one I'm noticing like she's she's got her flirting up to 11 and a half uh she says something like you're powerful and throbbing like your ship which by the way we'll revisit that line because it comes important later on (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, I was like, "Hey, girl, come on out!" Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's some that's that's some spicy foreplay right there. Yeah, <laughs> oh, my goodness. At this point, do you think Kirk is like he's he's into her? He's not trying to play the games anymore. I think it's both. Okay. I think that he's into her, and he's trying to get information out of her. What a tricky spot to be in. I, I'm trying to find out what her motivations are for laying it on so thick to him. Especially when we learn what she, well, can we talk about what she knows, what she does at the end? Cause we, we, Oh yeah, 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 of course. Yeah. She's got to try to kill him. So why is she flirting so much? I mean, like, I don't, you have him by himself right now. Like just get a syringe and off him right there. Right. Yeah. Or spray that milky, uh, poison on him. Such a water, like it's like a water bottle from Walmart. I swear they're like, we need something Uh at the last minute. Ugh. Some things, I guess, last for centuries into the future. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. The spray bottle technology is pretty high tech, man. Yeah, we got it. We nailed it down, guys. Uh, I think, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, this whole scene, her as a character, I just don't like any of it. Um, and this whole scene, I was kind of like, so, okay, let's talk about it now then. She says, you're powerful and throbbing like your ship. Okay, which the throbbing part threw me off, so I made sure to remember that. Then later on, when she's like, revealing herself and giving her you know you know mono speech whatever um she's saying you're like your ship you're powerful and cold so my whole thing for this thing is like the duality of perception the same thing he's like his ship has two different meanings one being that he's like full of life and 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 vigorous and stuff like that the other one saying that he's like dead inside because the ship's hollow and empty and stuff so we see that throughout all of this stuff like uh, Kodos's uh, perception of the situation. Was he saving lives? Was he, you know, being biased and only saving those that were, he actually literally says, um, basically he saved the ones that he liked. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a tough one here. This is like throwaway line later on, I revisit because she's looking at it in two different ways based off the situation she's in. Yeah, that's, that's really strange that they, that they can do that and that they chose to do that in this episode. It's like, just pick a lane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, I like how they always refer to Kirk either being like his ship or being in love with his ship and that it's the one true thing in his life that he will absolutely love until the end of his days. And you see that that's true throughout Star Trek. Yeah. Um, the comparison to him and his ship being both a positive and a negative. I didn't think about that before you brought it up. That's a very fair point. That's a very valid point that she she probably was just toying with him the same way he was toying with her. Like she wanted to get close to him to kill him and figured she'd get a couple jabs in at him by comparing him to the coldness of the ship yeah. before. I I don't know. This whole She ep- was kind of all over the place. Yeah, the whole episode though is about I think duality of perceptions. So this is one of them, but you know, as we go, I mean Kirk has his, everybody has like there's two different ways of looking at something, and depending on which way you're all standing on, you're either the hero or the villain. And um, 
or you know not even as a hero but you know there's i think that's what this whole episode's about that's what i got from 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 my point of view the jedi are evil <laughs> right yeah well i mean like if we're like it's empire is bringing peace and stability to a, a crazy galaxy so you know it's hard to say <laughs> yeah 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 so what did you think of Ahura in this episode? She uh, didn't get a whole lot of time on screen, but man, did she nail the time that she did have on screen. That whole, I mean, maybe we're up to that. that whole scene was so cringy to me. I was just like, can I really? fast forward past this garbage? I hate you so much right now. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was so good. I really oh, liked it. I thought it was so stupid. He's got a message. He's like, he just like randomly comes to the break room, I guess. And like, hey guys, can somebody like chat with me on board? You're on a starship, first of all. I know you have to have like a Game Boy or some like some sort of entertainment in the future that you like a book. Have a book with you, and then you're gonna like bug people in their break room. That would irritate me on my break. And then it's just like Ahura <laughs> happens to be playing music again in the break room, which again that would that's be annoying. That's what it makes sense though. If oh, they all like it, makes it. sense. Bullshit. If you were at work, could you imagine if a guy brought a guitar to work and kept playing it in your break room? If everybody enjoyed it the way that everybody was enjoying Uhura playing and singing, then yes, I could imagine that. Watch the scene again. There's one dude that's not on board. He's standing in the corner and he's just like, this woman again. All I want to do is <laughs> think about my day and she's over here playing her guitar thing. It's very off-putting in my opinion. So this whole scene, I was like, that's okay, fair. poison the milk. Let's get going to it. Like it was, it was a long one. Yeah. With, with regard to him uh, hitting the comm to the break room, I, I don't know. I kind of liken that to me checking Discord when I'm at work or checking Twitter and like messaging people saying, hey, what's up? I'm bored at work. LOL. Okay. I kind of I kind of see it like that. It's it's still work, even though it's on a starship. And even though you're running the engineering section by yourself with no lights on for some reason. <laughs> I know. Well, it's nighttime. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah There's a day night cycle on the ship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I really liked it because of how much I really liked uh, the scene earlier in the series with Spock playing the instrument and Uhura singing. I liked that one. I, really, I did like that one, actually. This made me. This put me back in that same mindset, that same place from that episode. And I, I, that's why I really liked it. Okay. Plus, that voice is awesome. So. Oh, she's amazing. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, definitely. Oh, definitely. All right. So we talked a little bit about the, the poison whatever <laughs> I, I <laughs> a little spray bottle with the uh, what did they call tetralubasol a common lubricant on starships yeah windex or something like that yeah did you see how he just went in to that like that glass of milk like he took a sip oh, yeah. and then looked at it it's like this poison's delicious and then just started choking the whole thing yeah uh, how valuable is milk in space that's it's just so crazy uh, how much he was into milk it's nuts yeah yeah i mean it makes sense because space, how often do they hit a space dock to freshen up on new milk? milk Blue doesn't have milk a long shelf in life. Star Wars, so there's something to this. Yeah. Hmm. A lot more yeah. Star Wars references than I expected out of this Trek Freaks. <laughs> <laughs> there, are, there tends to be a lot of Star Wars references, <laughs> especially when it's us. Um, yeah, so Tetralubasol, that was kind of lame, but yeah, don't drink your ship lube. <laughs> <laughs> That's a note for you kids out there. <laughs> All right, so Spock and McCoy are talking more about what's going on. And they end up talking to Kirk about it mm -hmm. after that. And while the three of them are talking, this is the, the I did like this one line from Spock, even though he's on 
the opposite side where you'd think he should normally be. Um, he says, you should know the difference between empiricism and stubbornness, Doctor. I thought that was so great because McCoy was holding to the fact that there wasn't enough proof to prove that Caridian and Kodos were the same person. And Spock's just like, no, nah, bro, we got the evidence. It's cold, uh, open shut. It's, it's done. Yeah. Quit being st- uh, stubborn. You're not being skeptical. You're being stubborn, essentially. Literally flip those two characters. I mean, it, it just works yeah. so much better the other way. But I mean, it's, the conversation between these two in this episode might be its best parts. Uh, I just I love when these two talk together. And um, man, just flip the characters and you'd be set. So this is when Kirk flips out on Spock for getting into his personal business. And this is not only a murder case, an attempted murder case, a genocide case, and a potential other murder case all wrapped into one, but it's on board the starship where Spock is serving as a second in command. How is this not his business? And yeah, a crewmate was just attacked, which means stop what you're doing, figure out why that crewmate was attacked. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it's, it just goes to show how little they actually value life, even though that that's one of the core values of Starfleet and Star Trek as a TV show is the value of human life or the value of life in general. Specifically, not Kirk life. does that a lot. He he doesn't value human life very much. I noticed in one of the episodes when like one of his crewmen fall off a, a, in a cave, um, he was just like, ah, oh, no, another crewman down. Like he's he's kind of I think he's more cavalier with human lives than others usually. Yeah, it, it just seems so insane that Kirk got so hurt by it. And why? It doesn't make any sense to me. But I guess they needed that little bit of tension to get the banter between all three of them. I guess, yeah. So Spock is certain that Caridian is Kodos at this point. Kirk's not 100%, and McCoy can't really seem to be bothered. Like, he just wants to drink. Um, Kirk wants to make absolutely certain before he ch- basically chooses Kodos' fate. Caridian's fate. Um, McCoy does ask him, though, are you sure it's not for vengeance and that it is for justice? And we get a little bit of that dark side glimpse of Kirk. Like, maybe he is in this because he's got a little skin in the game now. He's killed his friend. He's one of the only two living witnesses to Kodos, seeing Kodos face. Um, what do you think? Did, did, did he want just, you know, did he actually want that Starfleet justice yeah. or was he trying to cowboy up some some vengeance for his his lost people? I think, again, it's that duality of perception coming back. Um, yeah. Is it is it justice or I think it can be both how you handle it is the difference. And I think there's a little bit too much cowboy in this conversation. I think that he's he's ready to go pull that trigger. But we do see towards the end there. He is the, the captain rises up and kind of slows his roll right when it matters. But. In that steam, in that you know, lead up to it, we're getting a little bit too much cap, uh, cowboy Kirk, uh, which is a cool name. And so, yeah, it, it, he—that's how Kirk always is. He always has that duality between the two. But this episode Better. puts it to strain, and I, I do like that a lot. Yeah, something else I really like a lot is uh, going into Caridian's quarters now. Kirk barges in, yeah, and they start—they start a lengthy back and forth that is really good. I actually kept having to pause it to type down some of the lines. I'm not going to repeat all of them. This episode's worth watching just for the scene, I think. But they basically go back and forth on whether or not either of them believe that Caridian is Kodos. And this is when you start to see that uh, he, he says he asks Kirk if he believes that he's Kodos. 
And he says, yes. And then he says, then I am Kodos, if it pleases you to believe so. I'm an actor. I play many parts. I, I love that line it's so, so much because yeah. in his mind, this is where I start going. Like in his mind is Kodos just a character that he used to play. And now he's dissociated from it so much that he doesn't see it as something that he oh, actually wow. did, even though he kind of shows some regret for it later on. Um, it's just, it's so, there's a lot of layers to it. And I don't know if it was intentional or not. Uh, yeah, I actually took it the other way. I actually thought it was, it was Kodos covering his track as an actor saying that like, hey, uh, if I'm doing a good job acting, then I'm anybody you want me to be. I'm Hamlet this day. I'm Macbeth the other day. So I kind of took it as like an extension of what is acting. And if you're trying to hide yourself in your acting prowess, then that's what you would, that's exactly what you would say is like, you think I should be Kodos? Well, then I can be Kodos. Everything like that. Like I can be anybody. I'm a chameleon. So yeah, I just took it as like him kind of proving that he's not only an actor, but a damn good one. That's probably what they were actually going for, because Star Trek isn't known for being subtle about their messaging. Um, they're usually pretty heavy handed, and that would be the more obvious route. I didn't see it for some reason, <laughs> even though it is the more likely route. Uh, that's probably what they meant. But in my mind, that's what will th that's what the scene will always be, is that he's just dissociated so much from being Kodos that he's just another I like your version. character that he played. <laughs> yeah. It's more headcanon. I love Trek Freak's headcanon. Oh, gotta love it. Gotta love it. <laughs> I'm trying to picture the shirt, and it would be like a Star Trek uh, phaser being shot out of a head. It'd be a headcanon, or like a torpedo tube or something. <laughs> oh my god. I can't even Trek begin Freak's trying to draw that. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> I'm coming to you, Fiverr. Get ready. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Kirk has Caridian do a little voice test with the computer. He wrote down a speech from Kodos. This, this part was cheesy. I didn't <laughs> okay, care for good. this I'm glad you're all. on board how cheesy this was. <laughs> yeah, this was really bad. So it was a, a speech from Kodos from back in the day that Kirk remembered. He just knew it off the top of his head and he scribbled it down on a piece of paper. When do you see paper in Star Trek ever, by the way? Right. That, that um, threw me off, actually. Yeah, you're right. So the computer would be able to test his voice against Kodos' voice. Even if he like changes his voice somehow, as an actor would do to play a part, this was just so cheesy and unnecessary for the episode altogether. Because they don't even really take it into account. Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of things that there's like, okay, first off, he's 20 years older, so your voice changes. There's all kinds of things. Um, but I will say, I think he wrote that down at the time Kodos was saying it 20 years ago. I think that's why it's on paper. It's because he was like out on a battlefield and he heard Kodos saying this. Is like, I have to document this madman's insanity. And so I think you I like that. that. I like that. I, that's why I, it, if you look at the paper, it looks like it's worn. I can imagine it was like in Kirk's book or something like that. Like it's something that he stuck with because he's like this bastard, you know? <laughs> gotcha. And during this uh, halfway through, Caridian puts the paper down so he's not even reading it yeah. anymore and just recites the rest of the speech. And this goes to it goes with what you were saying, that he can hide himself in his acting so well. He tells Kirk that I'm an actor. I learn my parts quickly. Mm -hmm. So that he didn't need to keep looking at the paper to recite the speech while doing this stupid speech test. Well, I think mid reciting the speech, I think he's believing it again. And he's just like, he knows those lines because they've, they've rung in his head over and over again. And he tries to sleep at night. Like, so I think he's like, I know these lines because this is how I justify the murders that I've committed in the past. You know? Yeah. See, and I viewed it as him going back to being that character of Kodos. Like, 
he fully envelops himself in that and he's in the mindset is like this is exactly what i thought so i we're probably along the same lines as each other, just with different justifications. There's one word I want to make sure to bring up this whole speech of his is he says he basically is going to, you know, you guys are going to 50% of you are going to die so that the more valued members can live. And that's the important, that's, that's the most important word of his entire speech right there. We'll talk about that. Yeah. And that's the only, I think that was the only time that anybody had ever said that there's any difference between the 4,000 that lived and the 4,000 that died. Mm Mm-hmm. And what this value actually is. I did they ever get into that later? They didn't, what but that's the, the point. If there's there is, you know, <laughs> your perception, the perception of value. Of duality. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh so at this point in my notes, I actually I wanted to talk about this, and this is the key of the episode is at this point, is Caridian still Kodos? Yes, they are the same person. We know this as the audience. Kirk is pretty sure of it. Spock is certain of it. And Caridian knows it too. But are they actually still the same person or has there been enough changes in his mind and his mindset that he's shown remorse, shown repent and views Kodos in my mind as a different character altogether now that are they still one and the same? I believe so. Now, the way I took it is I believe so. And I think he's using his career. He's using time as a way to bury it as hard as possible, but it doesn't stay buried. I think it's something that I think everybody involved, everybody that was on that planet that day has like a form of like maybe PTSD or something like that. Kirk, Riley, and Kodos even all think back at that day and mourn it. And I think that's what we're seeing is like on both sides of that, that war, that, that battle, we have, you know, the fallen. Yeah, I, I agree that he should still be held to account for what he did. I don't know if he is the same person anymore. Mm-hmm. That doesn't, re- I don't know, this gets into some really gray territory that we as a society haven't even answered. Like, to this day, we don't, we don't know it's the where the point is know. when they're a different person. It's, that's what, yeah. that's, that's, that's so good Star Trek right there. <laughs> yeah, that's when Star Trek shines, exactly, yeah. <laughs> is when it's something that makes us think about modern day problems. And that's what it's meant to do. That's yeah. what all of science fiction is meant to do. And that's what Star Trek does the best. God, I love it. But th- at this point, Julia enters the room and. She overactingly says, there's a stain of cruelty on your shiny armor, Captain, saying that maybe he's not the, the man that in his own mind he thinks he is and that Julia was trying to explain to Kirk that he was that she thought about him. I don't know. This whole Julia character is just out there. It's like, not OK. It, look, it's not politically correct. I'll say that. But this is probably where the word the term came from. This bitch is crazy. Because like, <laughs> oh my god! And as she's like starting to like, it was me the whole time, and her eyes like widen up. You're like, oh no, no, no! You are going into a beautiful padded room, woman. <laughs> you are done with yeah. this earth. <laughs> okay, so we can we can basically skip to the end now because right now we know everybody's part. Yeah. There's the the play the 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 play of Hamlet. Riley breaks out of sick bay and sneaks in, tries to plans to kill Kodos, yeah. Caridian, whatever. Uh, doesn't get away with it. Kirk talks him out of it. Julia kills Caridian on accident. Yeah, one part I want to make sure to mention is while Kodos and, oh, I'm sorry, while Riley and Kirk are talking, Kodos hears them talking in the background, which I wasn't sure if he could hear him. What I like is that he's like, I hear memories from a curtain, whatever, blah, 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 which is like he's hearing the voices and it's triggering those those memories that he can't sleep at night with, type of thing like that. He's like, mm-hmm. they're back. And it's not that he hears them behind him. I think he doesn't, well, no, because, oh yeah, he didn't poison Riley. Actually, she did. So. He doesn't know about Riley. 
So hearing that voice is just like the haunting continues. And uh, I did like that a lot about Kodos. Yeah, I like that a lot as well. And he he uh, describes it as hearing a voice from his past Mm -hmm. is what he says from a previous character. character. And I know that he could just in his mind try try to be explaining to Julia that Kodos to him is not who he is anymore. He's changed. He's evolved as a person and that what I did in my past, he's now telling Julia as a character that he used to play to try to lighten the the load on her because his whole motivation is to keep her hands clean, even though she's been trailing behind him, killing everybody (laughs) to try to protect him, which is even more stupid because that's exactly what led Spock to figure out that Caridian and Kodos are the same person. Yeah, she was very sloppy about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think there's really much else that I want to touch on specifically in this episode. I want to say one more line real quick that I think, because again, so many great lines. You've actually made me like this episode more as we're talking about it. Um, <laughs> That's usually what happens with John and I, too. Yeah. Uh, the play is over. It's been over for 20 years. God, that hit me. Which is like... That was a good line. He's been putting on this facade, trying to not be Kodos for so long. And he's finally... It's almost like a relief that he can be just like, I'm this asshole that had such a terrible decision. And, you know, me and Jonathan talked about this episode uh, beforehand. And he's like, look, yeah, if those ships didn't arrive in time, he would have been a hero. And I was like, no, because there's still the idea that you chose which one lives and which one dies. And we don't know what you considered valued. Are there people who look like you? Are there people who are wealthy like you? You're a governor, so you were around a lot of wealthy people. Was it all your friends? You know, and it's just, yeah, man, it's a tough one, you know, going into this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and that last part that you were saying that, kind of was able to let down the facade lends more credence to your description of his character that he was just trying to hide into his acting to get away from what he did in the past and try to hide from it as opposed to being fully enveloped in it like i was considering uh yeah you're you're probably right i still like to think of it the other way they're both fun yeah it's (laughs) yeah it's just it's it's so rare that Star Trek or anything in pop culture really touches on mental health. And I think it's yeah. such a big thing that nobody talks about like they should. And maybe it's because people don't want to say something like I'm, I'm kind of tiptoeing because I don't know enough about different mental health yeah. issues to talk about it. So maybe that's, that's part of why they don't, but I think this would have been a great episode for something in the sixties to touch on of all things, the, the late sixties, this stuff was never spoken about. So, yeah, you're probably absolutely well, right, is what I'm getting this at. This is, you know, post-Korean War, post-World War II, and so we have a lot of that, what was called shell shock now, PTSD, that I think is rearing its head. And Riley is specifically, when he starts to hear that voice, just like the governor, was like oh, the yeah. haunting memories. And so everybody has those memories that are, that are just, they don't leave them. So I'm imagining them sleeping at night, trying to just shake these thoughts from back in the day. And so I think it does kind of touch on that part of mental health, of the PTSD and stuff like that. Yeah, it, that's fair too. Because Riley and Doctor Layton both were like that voice. Like yeah. when they were describing hearing his voice, they were visibly haunted by hearing his voice. Yeah, uh, a voice I'm sure and, they hear at night. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, man. So I, I really, I, I enjoyed that episode a lot. Um, I thought that the very last part of the episode was kind of dumb, 
when they're talking about what happened to Julia. Oh, she doesn't remember anything. It's just, 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 just let her be punished and not get away with something, even in her own brain. Like, yeah, I said, stupid ending to an otherwise great story. I, I, I thought that the whole, the entirety of Julia could have been out of this episode. Yeah. And it would have been that much better for it, I think. It would have been, yeah, it almost would have been better if, like, Kodos was killing them, but not, like, intentionally. Like, it was, like, almost a duality or personality. Oh, God, I keep saying duality in this episode. But, like, a split personality kind of thing. Where, like... Yeah, yeah, I thought that's what... Yeah. That would have been cool. <laughs> that's kind of what I thought the whole Caridian and Kodos thing was in his mind. was, like, a, 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 a split personality dissociation and yeah. being two different people in one body essentially yeah after the events and of that day he broke and built a new person who was an actor yeah. who puts on masks the whole time yeah, exactly <laughs> the allegory was right there it was just it was so perfect that in my mind that's what this episode was and that's why it was such a good episode yeah come on gene we could have helped you out with this thing <laughs> yeah it's you've definitely sold the episode on me i'm much more of a fan of it now than i was an hour ago nice nice so at at this point, I only had two questions that I wanted to ask. Okay. Is Caridian actually still Kodos? And we touched on that already. Mm-hmm. We both basically said yes. With an, I said yes with an asterisk. Um, and I have a smaller asterisk. I, we don't need. <laughs> we don't need to touch on that one anymore. Um, the needs of the many outweighing the needs of the few was the other running Star Trek theme that i saw in this episode uh him killing four thousand of his own citizens off to save the quote more valuable four thousand people um and spock immediately saying no that was that's despicable he shouldn't have done that but he's always the one that's preaching the needs of the menu outweighed the needs of the few spock dropped the term eugenics in this episode which is a very hard term to drop 20 years after world war ii so right that's a pretty tough one to hear um I, I mean, there's just so many clear, clear allegory. Like they're just really tying it into that. And so I think in any other sense, like, yeah, there is a whole like morally gray thing and stuff like that. But I think in this one, they, if they didn't, oh gosh, it's like, they could have made this easier if they just didn't try to redeem him at all. Like if there wasn't the one yeah. line about how, like, yeah, if those ships came soon, didn't come sooner, I'd be fine. If that line didn't exist, then this episode would have been a lot better. I, or, I mean, oh God, it just would have been easier to analyze, I guess. Cause it's a tough one. You're almost kind of siding with yeah. it by the end. Yeah, see, I, I definitely am not. It's just, it's, it's more of people trying to wrestle with their own inner, inner demons. I guess is kind of what his character is supposed to be a reflection of. Yeah. But I, I just thought that obviously what he did was wrong, and anybody could look at it and say, yeah, killing four thousand people to save four thousand people is wrong. But it's, 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 it's the, the, the trolley question, like the yeah. trolley problem. It's that's exactly what it is. And instead of it being do you sacrifice one person for three people, it's do you sacrifice one person for one person. And how do you make that choice? And it's based on perceived value. And what does that perceived value entail? And it just goes on to the yeah. next question, the next question. So okay. And he just made a decision. In that same boat, say how how would you approach the situation? You're leader of a planet, you have eight thousand people on it, and you don't know the ships are coming early. You think if I don't kill half these people, they'll all suffer and die. What do you do? I am not a leader. I don't have a que- an answer for that question right now. Um, I don't think I would kill or even ask for volunteers to kill themselves. I don't think that that's something I would do. Maybe that's something that people would choose to do on their own. But 
I don't know. He was like a bad leader to begin with from the sounds of it. Yeah, I don't know. If, yeah. I don't know. I think I would, I, you know, yeah, ask for volunteers first and then do like a lottery <laughs> system, I guess. I mean, I mean, how, you know, it's the Hunger Games, man. <laughs> well, oh, boy, hey, forget to set up a Hunger Games. I like those movies and books, but um, no, but I mean, like, yeah, how be then 8,000 people die instead of 4,000 people dying? You know what I'm saying? So yeah. what do you do? Ah, God, that's a yeah, tough one. That, yeah, that, that's the question that I don't think that they were expecting the audience to ask. But here we are asking that question. And that's actually the question that I wanted to ask to our audience as well is what would you do in that kind of situation and do the needs of the many in that specific instance outweigh the needs of the few? I really want to hear other people's takes on this and yeah, try to form my own opinion because I, it's, it's a really hard question to answer. It is. It is. Did you have anything else on this episode that you wanted to touch on? Um, you know, yeah, I, it was just a, it was an okay episode. The next episode will be better. I will say that because we actually have, you know, I like some good people coming up on that one. Um, let me know what you guys if you guys on the socials and stuff like that let us know what you guys thought of this compared to the rest of Star Trek because there are times where they lean in an episode like this and times where they go way away from it um, I think there are like the, the, the question is Star Trek but like a lot of the other stuff was just a waste I think this episode could have easily been a half an hour but it's a tough one yeah, yeah. that's fair I really liked it um, what rating would you give this episode on a letter grade scale C minus probably Damn, dude. I I give it an A. It's my favorite episode thus far. Wow. Even after talking about it, it's still an A. And mine with the alien baby, I'd give that one an A. The one where... I don't even remember. With like the, oh, the yeah. shape that the, they come the, across. The mannequin. Yeah. Yeah, that was definitely like a D minus for me. That was a terrible, <laughs> terrible episode. I, I dislike that one so much. This is, this is what I love about Trek Freaks, though. The, <laughs> People getting different things out of each episode yeah. and liking them or not liking them independently. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Join us next time. Uh, we will be talking about episode 14 of season one, of the original series called The Balance of Terror. Uh, make sure to to hit us up on all the, the socials. We're down. T- check down below in the description. That's where all the social links yeah, are. Yeah. Uh, let us know what you thought of this episode of Star Trek and this episode of Trek Freaks in general. And yeah. I've been Kevin, he's been Frank, and until next time, Transporter Room, two to beam up. Uh-huh.